Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land. Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Those are the words of the Lord that stuck out to me when I read today's first lesson last week. In other words, Moses, I imagine God saying, the promised land is for your eyes only. Your feet will never touch it. You will never taste its fruit, smell its scents, or behold its sounds. How simultaneously elated and frustrated that must have made Moses. On the one hand, at long last, he had finally gotten to see the place of his ancestors, the place that he had been leading the people of Israel back to these long, many years. And on the other hand, he wasn't going to be able to take them in. On the one hand, he was finally going to be relieved of his leadership responsibilities, which had been extremely taxing. And on the other hand, that was slated to happen just before he would have finished the job. Usually leaders like to end on a high note, having just completed a major task and wanting to make room for future leaders to take the reins. But Moses dies just short of crossing into Israel's promised land of Canaan. I'm thankful for this account of Moses near the end of his life because it reminds me of two things. It reminds me first that with regard to heaven, we are in a similar situation to that of Moses right now. As we near the end of our earthly pilgrimage and look forward to heaven as a promised land, we do so eagerly, but perhaps also wistfully, wishing perhaps that we would have done more or done better here on our earthly sojourn. And the second thing it reminds me of is that all that we have belongs to God and that we should not be afraid to, like Moses, invest ourselves in long-term projects, the fruit of which will be born only after our lifetime. We may only perceive them at a distance. God expects from us not success as much as faithfulness. 
which is to say that faithfulness is the success for which we should be striving, even if it doesn't result in victory in our own lifetime or as the world defines it. Moses had received a glimpse, an intimation of the promised land of Canaan. But Canaan was only an intimation of the land of everlasting life with God that God has promised us. In dying, Moses beat Israel to that promised land of which Canaan was but a foretaste. Speaking in Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16, God says of Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It is easy to get frustrated and discouraged by life on earth. Even when we accomplish good things, our success is often short-lived and transitory as new problems arise or old ones resurface. Anyone who has tended a garden knows this. Once the planting is done, weeds need to be pulled, and once that's been done, more weeds show up, and it has to be done again and again. Sometimes it gives us a feeling of futility. And if we are fortunate enough to harvest the fruit of our labor, we eat it, and it's gone, and it's time to start the whole process over again. No wonder we sometimes feel like our lives are simply steps on a treadmill or a hamster wheel. But that should not keep us from striving for what is good. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Even when it doesn't seem to be going the way we had hoped or expected, even when the promised land lies well beyond our lifetime, we can take joy and satisfaction at the work we put into a worthy goal. Much of the Apostles' work fits into that category. Paul, writing in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2, says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. 
Paul and his companions at great personal expense had planted a Christian community in Thessalonica, not knowing what would become of it or of themselves. Later, Paul wrote to encourage and instruct them. Knowing that he would not be able to remain their spiritual nursemaid forever, Paul nonetheless invests considerable time and effort in the Thessalonian church, trusting God with their future and training future evangelists, missionaries, and church leaders. So what an encouragement that is to us to look beyond our own time horizon and instead to embrace the Lord's. It's what enables things like long-term mission work, like that carried out at Messiah for these past 76 years since the congregation's inception. It's what enables things like the Lutheran Reformation to take place, as Christians, at great personal risk, lent themselves to the proclamation and propagation of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, speaking not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. Thanks be to God for Moses, who was willing to lead the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land of Canaan, even though he would not enter it. Thanks be to God for the Apostle Paul, who sowed and nurtured the seed of the gospel among the Gentiles, striving for faithfulness and trusting God with the results. Thanks be to God for Martin Luther and other reformers, teachers, pastors, and missionaries of the church, imperfect to be sure, but who put their lives and their livelihoods on the line for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people like us who benefit from their work generations later. Thanks be to God for his gift of Holy Communion, in which we receive a foretaste of our promised land, the Lamb's high wedding feast, and everlasting life with God. And thanks be to God for coming to us as Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for our sake endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Of him, the world is not worthy, but by him we have been made worthy and blessed forevermore.